Welcome back to the Yoga After Dark podcast. Today, I have Patricia Amato with me, and she is down in Miami, uh, where she is a teacher at the Miami Life Center. And the last time I saw Patricia was when I was in Miami, because uh, uh, Sharat was there, and I'm, you know, one of the crazy kids that goes and follows Sharat when he comes places. Uh, and so we, uh, I don't know if we've really seen each other since uh, we met in Mysore years since, ago. Yeah, since then. But, since uh, then, since Miami, I think. That's it. Yeah, I that think That was so. the last time. But so, but now we're having, a, we had a coffee date in Miami at a, at a lovely place called Pinocchio, which is since um, changed locations and she's there now in, in, in the very empty, in the very empty coffee shop because <laughs> they can only do takeout at the moment due to our due to our corona quarantine and uh, I'm at my house but I but I made myself a delicious cup of coffee so we're having we're having coffee date number two yes welcome on the podcast Patricia it's so nice to have you Thank you for having me, Michael. So nice to see you, to hear your voice, to like, you know, connect. So much fun. So um, I, uh, I did some digging, some reading on your, on your website. Um, oh my. Which I, which I found particularly interesting and I really, I really enjoyed what I read, by oh. the way. I'm glad. Um, and so if, if you all have some free time, you should go and read some of Patricia's stuff. It's really quite nice. But I came across a, a recent, I don't, I don't know how recent it was, but it was one of the, you know, sooner blogs, if you will, called Cum uh, Grano Salis, which is uh, with a grain. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, then it, and, then, and then there was a big middle finger, and it said F sensitivity and love your neighbor, which... Uh, is very yeah. much my vibe, so I quite like. Yes, that. <laughs> that is so true. That's like has your name and last name written all over the place. <laughs> and then very quickly, you quote uh, Michelle Wolf. Uh, oh yes, which, the comedian. Yeah, which was doubly interesting to me because I actually did an, an entire yeah. lip sync of her uh, White mm. House Correspondence Dinner monologue. OMG, I need um, to see this. Oh, I need to see this. I might have it recorded somewhere, so I'll see you if I can You need to share it. it. <laughs> you have to share that for sure. But yeah, my alter ego, uh, my alter ego, Helen, did a, did a lip sync of Michelle. So. <laughs> oh my God, I love that. So you she quote was, her She as became saying, so famous. Yeah. Yeah, you quote her as saying, living in an outraged society yes and and i i definitely think we are currently living in an outraged society and then you go on and and talk about how oftentimes we instead of trying to educate someone mm. uh we prefer to go the shame and humiliation route yeah because it gives us, or it, it feels like it gives us some power, some control. Um, so I'm just wondering uh, if you could talk a little bit about that and kind of your feelings on that um, to, to get us started kind of right the event. Yeah, well, for me, it always comes down to the nature of understanding why someone might have said something and what's the context of it. I grew up within a family who, have a very dark sense of humor they're always making fun of their own demises and little things that will happen in the daily life and we will laugh my and dear joke. will you put your microphone a little bit closer to your mouth yes and ah, uh so there so so i grew up with a family that whatever was happening to us in our daily lives little things we will at a night gather up and tell our stories of how our day went and it was always very told in a very comical way comedical way and make fun of each other and laughed. So I have a little bit of a background and also the country I was born, Venezuela, always making fun. There was always every single Monday, a comedy show, making fun of the government, politics, culture, you name it. So I feel that first and foremost, when it's important to look at the context of when something is happening. If somebody's saying something that means harm or 
Are they saying it because there's a microchip installed in their head uh, because of the culture and their upbringing? Uh, was it done with bad intentions? Was the tonality in which it was said? Uh, I felt I feel like comedy has such great value. It often points out to the false hours of society and it brings certain lightheartedness. But nowadays you can't even do that because nowadays people get so easily outraged. It doesn't matter if it is meant, if there was any harm meant or not, if it was done for purposes of just making a parody or being uh, comical about it. It's just people get very outraged. And I got that quote from Michelle Wolf on her stand-up comedy on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And it really resonated with me. We are in an outraged society. And I had read some research about uh, this scholar. Uh, I can't remember her name. It's, it's on, the, on the blog. And she said, she pointed out that you have to also look at the people who get so easily offended because we live in a society in which victimhood uh, provides some sort of power, mm. like you were saying, some control and power. And sometimes these people who are so easily offended, they gain some sort of power out of that, out of that situation. Um, that came about of a story that I have heard from somebody who was, had gotten upset it was somebody that I know, actually a yogi that I know, who happens to be gay, and he was offended that this other person, this other yogi, was following somebody else on Instagram who had made some gay remarks or whatever. I don't know very well. The point is that this person went behind the back and reached out to the bosses of where the yogi that's following somebody else who made some comments and said that needed to be removed from the studio, whatever that was, I don't know. But I felt like it was a little too much. First of all, you don't mess with somebody else's income or job or whatever. And second of all, it made me think, just because you follow somebody on Instagram, who knows? You know, I can follow you, who knows? God knows what you're saying. My brother is gay. I don't know how I could get, I could I follow get on Instagram. Come on. Right, exactly. I could Someone follows well. me and I look at a picture and I'm like, oh, you're cute. Follow back. Yay. Like, I have no yeah. idea what's going on on there. Yeah. <laughs> and then I forget about it. <laughs> and, and so I was thinking, I said, I even have friends. My brother is gay. I have friends who are gay. And they know, you know, they have their family members. That even their family members, they can make a certain comment or whatever. And they're the first ones. These family members have no hate in the hearts. They're the first ones to embrace anybody. They're so loving. But it's just, I feel it's a microchip installed in their head in society that some words are going to come out of the mouth. Now, you, you need to be aware and observe. Was it done with bad intentions? Was there any harm intended in the words that were spoken? Was the context, again, of what was being said? So that always gets my attention. Mm. It's a little odd. It's a little nerve-wracking, I got to tell you, because when I actually, when I posted that, that blog, I was a little nervous about it for some reason. And so it's funny that you brought that up. <laughs> you're, probably like, ner- you're probably nervous about it because you're putting yourself out there and you're putting, you're putting yourself out there in a very public way. You're saying, this is me. This is, this is right. Patricia Amato and I am writing this and these are my opinions. And, and I find that... Uh, one of the big things in our society right now is the, the protection of anonymity. Um, you can, you know, that's how, that's how the, the internet troll is fed and is alive and well today is because you can do so much in an anonymous way and you don't have to filter yourself, uh, in any way because it, it's just a screen you're you're behind something you're you're behind it, uh, oh this is interesting so i've noticed that um as you know as we've been walking around in masks over the past month or <laughs> two um people change immediately the way they act towards each other um yeah and they change for the ruder you know um, it's yes. like once, once a mask is covering the face, all of a sudden you're not human anymore. Like you can do whatever the hell you want. You don't, you don't have to uh, enjoy the repercussions of your actions if there's a mask on for some reason. That is so true. Very observant. 
<laughs> yeah, it, it's so true. Um, I remember I was a little nervous about it when I posted it, but at the same time, you can choose to either speak your words or write them down or whatever, expose yourself in a way that is very politically correct and makes everybody happy and you cover all bases in the hopes that you are being liked by everybody else. But is that authentic? Is that who you are and who you believe? You know, if we are all like that, then we don't expose certain things, you know? It's, mm -hmm. there's no room for debate and there was another study that was being said that I don't think I mentioned it on the blog but if we are all like that if we don't defer if we don't debate that is the bedrock of intelligence for us to grow and evolve and see other points of view but if everybody starts to think the same just to be politically correct so that you're, you're covering all the bases then there's no growth no intellectual growth mm. Yeah, I would agree with you on that one. I like I like to hear lots of points of view, even even when they piss me off. And yeah, you, exactly. And me many too. points of view do piss me off. I'm a I'm a quite opinionated person, so uh, but I still like to listen <laughs> to them and try to and try to figure them out. You know, it's it's a fun it's a fun puzzle for me. And I get it. I, I mean, it can be tricky because when do you draw the line when, when something is like, when I opened the paragraph, something that really outraged me. Yeah. That was some, some years ago in 2010. I was really outraged when I read that on MSN, uh, the story of this African man who died of AIDS and his body was dug up out of the grave, tied up into a pickup truck, his body was driven all over town and then the remains were dropped at his father's house just because he was gay. That is, I mean, I was so outraged. I remember I was like crying for somebody that I never even knew, thinking of my brother, you know, he's in Venezuela. This could very well happen to him. Like so many things. But then by the same token, when do you draw the line? Because I was also pretty outraged by that other behavior that's kind of silly, you know, and not you're following somebody on Instagram and then you're being publicly pretty much ashamed, made to feel guilty because you're just following somebody else happens to whatever it is that they're doing in their personal life. That's a little too much. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess the line becomes um, something that we all have to figure out where we're going to draw it and probably we'll move it back and forth. I would imagine. Yeah. That's what, yeah. That's what the, this other guy said for Time Magazine, that the thing is that also we're, we're very egotistical and we draw the lines in the sands and everybody has their own lines in the sands, so who's right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's complicated. It. <laughs> you know, that, and that comes, I think that comes into the, uh, the Mysore room, the yoga room all the time is uh, mm -hmm. where, where our lines are drawn in the sand. And, they, and I think as a, as a teacher, and, and you're a teacher of Ashtanga, um, I think as a teacher, it's interesting to see how someone's lines change over time. Uh, sure. Because you know, they, they are malleable. They are, they're not hard set in there. And the, and the only way to figure out where they are is to have actual communication with your students. Yeah, that is so true. It, it, it's, um, you can see with the, as a teacher, you can see and within yourself, you see how you grow in acceptance, how even your own judgments. I remember when I was 20 years old, I was so judgmental. When I look back, oh my God. And that's part of also the reason that I look at myself and I say, you know, if probably you would have been talking to me when I was 20 years old, the stuff that came out of my mouth, oh gosh, <laughs> I'll put myself in a cage too real fast. I will publicly ashamed myself too. So, you know, there's uh, allowing that room for growth all the time. I guess it's, it's so important not to be so harsh on friends or, or on yourself, like even that opening to, to accept, always be so accepting. Mm -hmm. That's why I like like the sensitivity. Don't worry so much about the sensitivity. Just love your neighbor, accepting how they are. Sometimes you know they're gonna be, they're gonna piss you off. They're gonna say things out of line. Well, understand where they're coming from. Accept it. You don't have to take it. Just let it go. You're growing. Other little snail case. 
it's not like you're going like at rabbit's pace. Maybe you're going at sort of pace. You're just a little more forward than them. But <laughs> you never know. They can take a quantum leap and then you're far behind. Yeah, true. And you, and you note at the, uh, the end of this particular blog that uh, it's an arduous journey and the path is long and hard, but, but you're going to keep trotting it, yes? Yes, it's pretty much a little bit about that because at the end of the day, just because you create awareness in one moment doesn't mean that you're always going to be aware. That microchip installed in our head is so strong. You can't just take it out. You will, some things comes out that you keep noticing. And then you think to yourself, I thought I was done with this. I thought I have grown, outgrown this. And then you can see how it can come back and come back. So deeply, deeply ingrained. Either by your upbringing, society, or whatever that is. And you still can be blinded. And people can still teach you. And you can still learn certain lessons. Like, I remember uh, this kind of, uh, what, was, what was it exactly? There was a, a girl that used to practice at the studio, and she was, she was molested when she was a child by her grandfather. And, you know, she was very uh, touched by the things that was happening with Shrike Patavi Joyce and the stains and whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of like comparing her situation. Like, I couldn't understand why she was being so affected and not getting over. We took all the pictures out and she was still mulling over this thing. And by the same token, I would see these other people who were also molested as a child. And they were, they kept on. And they were like, you know, they moved on with their lives. They said, okay, this is what happened. They see the picture of Shrike Patavi Jones. They don't get a heart attack. They're okay. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that I was mentally be judging her and not understanding that it was that who had molested her was her grandfather. And for mm -hmm. her to see a grandfatherly figure was a lot more intense than whomever else who was next to me with the resilience Mm -hmm. being okay, seeing the picture of Shriki Patavi Joyce. And that was an eye-opener for me because just because I didn't understand it didn't mean that that was not there. That like so blinded and close-minded still I was not to understand her point, right? Like yeah. I was not seeing that. I was in a sense kind of judging, well, why is she not receiving like this other people who have been like three, four, five people here and they keep on. Why is she being like that? And then I, I went and I apologized. And then I said to her, like, I understand now how, why this works for you, why it's hitting you so much. Mm -hmm. So it's like that. We're always going to be failing. It's not like, you know, because you get a microsecond of awareness doesn't mean that you're going to be enlightened for forever. Oh, you're going to, it's so arduous. <laughs> you're going to realize many times you're going to lack and try and lack and try and keep going and just do your best, the best that you can. Yeah, at the end of the song. day, yeah, at the end of sorry, at the end of the day, I feel like, like God, the universal intelligence, whatever that is that might speak to you, knows what's deeply in your heart. And in your heart of hearts, it knows that um, when you have goodness in your heart, when you intend something, you know, mean harm to others, that's what I feel. Like, not to worry so much about being so right. Mm, yeah, I, I agree with that. You can't, you can't worry about always being right because you have to accept that you're going to make a lot of errors. Um, it's just Seriously. important to keep your, uh, your ears open and your, and your heart open and be, be available to change, you know, and be available yes. to go back and study the situation and, and study yourself and study your own reactions. I mean, isn't that what the, the yoga is all about? Whether you, you're talking about like a very simple physical body on a, on a rubber mat, or you're talking about a, a whole situation involving, uh, you know, power plays and uh, past harm and, and all kinds of other yeah. stuff, you know, uh, they, they, they end up, being the the same skill the same skill yeah. which is simply that swadhyaya that that self-study that study of, uh, of the situation at hand yeah and even the blindness of myself like no you know having these thoughts when i haven't 
being molested and to that extent to even like kind of like imagine put myself I don't never know I mean there were like two episodes when I was a child or there were two grown men that tried to like you know touch me my move mm -hmm. in a different way so I kind of like because I right away I told my mom and like they removed me immediately from the scene and it was like oh but why didn't they say something so you start noticing that all these things all your own judgments on how you would have acted or what you would have done have nothing to do with what these people are experiencing so mm. there's that blindness there right that we're always we're thinking we're acting from our own personal little place without knowing what other people do you will never know until you're walking in somebody else's shoes never right so we had to we have to snap ourselves out of that situation and, and enter and that's what part of the blog was also in in the reverse effect when you're also getting so offended by something put yourself in that other person's shoes oh whenever in doubt put yourself in somebody else's shoes what yeah. is try to imagine it a little bit that's always yep. helpful we're always seeing things through our own lens and yeah it's an incredibly difficult thing to, to try to see someone, something through someone else's perspective. Yes. Uh, and, and if you can manage to do that or, or manage to attempt to do that, uh, you usually get a much wider vision uh, of what's yeah. going on. Uh, but it takes quite a lot of effort, you know? <laughs> it takes a lot it of... It takes so. a lot. Of, yeah, a lot of effort to do something like that. Um, but there, I mean, there's going to be no gain unless, unless the effort is, is, is put Made. in. Yeah, definitely. When the mornings, when I do a little, I do a gratitude practice every day, every morning before I practice. And then I do like a little loving kindness meditation, if it can be called med meditations, mostly like contemplation or a little prayer. And I always think of three people that I want to dedicate a prayer to whomever pops into mind. It doesn't have to be like somebody that might need it or whatever. But oftentimes it's very powerful when I think of a particular person that I might dislike or I might not agree and I put myself in the person's shoes. Wouldn't that person, what does the person want? Ultimately wants the same thing that I want, to be happy, healthy and live a long, happy and healthy life. Mm -hmm. to, be, to love and be loved. And so I pray for that person and I pray these things. May you have clarity of mind and heart. May you be happy. May you be healthy. Live a long, happy, healthy life. Love and be loved. And from that, whatever grievances I might feel, it like gets immediately dissolved. And you, you have this sense of uh, understanding. And then it makes you think, who have you created some grievances <laughs> like whatever, you know, I hope somebody's praying that I may be having healthy too. <laughs> oh, that's good. So I'm, I'm so glad you're uh, bringing in a little uh, applicable technique into the whole thing. Uh, yeah, there's a little magic pill. Let me tell you, it works wonders. Like it's right away suits your heart. Yeah, because you, um, you do talk uh, about forgiveness a fair amount and yes. being being able to both forgive someone else and also forgive yourself um, so I'm wondering uh, besides what you just stated um, do you have any advice for for people who I'm a person that struggles with that so do you have any advice for me and people like me of, of how how to go about forgiving others and and probably even more valuable how to go about forgiving yourself for, for mm. your own errors and your own issues yeah uh well i'm someone who suffered from guilt for for a very long time it, guilt is my demise and it's a dragon that will incinerate you like it will dry you up suck the living energy out of you and for most of my 20s and even 30s i was like a slave of that and you know this practices and, and readings and different techniques they help you and it's such an artist's path like you said because you keep learning and relearning and i come from a family from my dad's side of the family mostly my father being the king at it holding grudges 
like he was the king of holding grudges. And I was remember being like that too. If they didn't like somebody or they might have said something, I will like that person's out of my life for like forever. Mm. And that and my mom was never like that. My mom was the opposite, very accepting, very, you know, everybody's like, it's okay, just give them another opportunity, accept everybody. So it wasn't until later in life that I adopted more of her her um philosophy of life that became more natural because as a younger person I was very much like my father holding projects and things and what helped me was I remember thinking one time which I had read I don't even remember in what book I read but when you're feeling like that when you're having a grudge against somebody when you can feel like you can forgive that person or forgive yourself okay so you fast forward yourself 30, 50 years from now, whatever that might be, hopefully you're really old and decrepit on your dying bed and you picture yourself on your dying bed and you ask yourself, do you remember, do you think you're going to remember the episode that you had where you were holding a grudge with this person or that which you didn't like, that particular event that probably won't even be in your mind. It will be like completely far gone. And it will not matter. So if it will not matter then, well, will it matter now? You let it go. And it's so, so um, light. It brings such lightness. Somebody did you wrong, whatever. You're having a, an argument with somebody or you dislike or you're not seeing this person anymore. Even your exes. My ex-husband is my best friend. Is my bestest of friend. Why? Because... Like, why? Like, you know, we had a nice relationship and we honored that and it didn't work out anymore. We outgrew ourselves. We grew into different people. We married very young when we were 20 years old. Why am I going to be like hating the guy or anything like that or him hating me? You honor what you lived in that relationship that you had because at the end of the day, 50 years from now, hopefully I get to live that long. I'm 100 years old, really wrinkled, old and decrepit on my dying bed. <laughs> you think about I care about whatever arguments I had with him or whatever at the time, that's going to be so gone yeah. from my mind at the moment. That's such a and that's what happens. That is such a beautiful way of putting it. And I think I would add... Um, not not only uh, will I not be thinking about these things when I'm when I'm on the deathbed, but also you know should I get hit by a bus tomorrow because I'm yeah. not attention because I'm wearing a mask and not looking both ways when I cross the street because it goes out of my mind. Um, exactly, the you know, me too. <laughs> have you seen it? People on the street, like, oh they, they don't even look anymore. They're just like I am. I'm in a mask. I can do whatever I want. You know. This is how superheroes have gotten away with it for years and years. <laughs> but uh, you know, you know, God forbid, I uh, yeah, I get hit by a bus yeah. tomorrow. Are there are there things that I that I just don't want lingering there? That yeah. that you don't want that that negative energy lingering there for for I mean, absolutely no reason. So another prescription pill 
if the dying bed imagination doesn't work for you and this person has you really infuriated and you're like really in the red zone and nothing is working, another one that you can do that's really helpful that can also has the potential to bring lightness of heart and spirit is that you sit down, you write with, on a piece of paper, you write the person's name and last name if you know it, and look at it, a picture if you have hopefully, and look at that for, for a moment and think of five things and you're going to write that on a piece of paper that you are grateful for to this person and the reasons why. Maybe because they help you at some point in life, maybe because due to the situation you have now learned a part of you that you didn't know that you had, or maybe because they have beautiful eyes, even if you're so upset at them, or they have beautiful hands, whatever that might be. Write five things that you are grateful for for them and the reasons why. Oh, I'm grateful to them because they really came into my life at the moment that I needed, or that actually this, he or she was an angel at that moment, and it, and it was really good. Whatever that might be. And usually, more often than not, you feel so much more lighter. If you take it a little extra notch, like step it up a notch, you send that person a text message and you, you tell them, I, I know that we're going through this, whatever. I just want to let you know that uh, in the middle of it all, I'm thankful for this and that and whatever. And their reaction, they completely shifts the energy because then themselves also appreciate it so much. You send a boost of energy to them and that begins to heal the relationship. Mm. You know, I wanted. I did. I did. I did a lot of pages on that with my ex-husband. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, good for you. <laughs> um, I, I actually uh, now that you now that you just uh, brought up text messaging, um, that's interesting to me because I mean I I agree with you. Yeah, send someone a text message because frankly, if if someone I uh, have a little beef with calls me, I'm not going to answer the phone anyway. Um, but uh, but what, what's your feeling on, you know, especially at this time when we're doing so much through screens, we're doing so much through the internet. Mm. Um, you know, texting to me is such a removed way of communication. And yes. I mean, even my best friends, I get into little tips on text message and i just have to say you know what we're done we're no longer talking about this on text we can either talk this mm -hmm. about this when we see each other or we can have a phone call because yeah we're going around in stupid text circles there's That's no so true. there's no emotion to it i can't tell your tone so how are um, you dealing okay. with um you know the fact that right now we're doing so much through screens and um, and so that means that, you know, even though we can have these moments where we can see each other and speak to each other directly, there's also a huge amount of communication going through email and texting. Um, how do you balance that out to make sure that you're, you're getting your point across and also that you're receiving information correctly from your students and your colleagues and your family, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. That is, that is so true, and I'm afraid I will be the worst person to, to give any advice on that because I think I was a millennial before there was a millennial. Uh, <laughs> when I was a, when I was a, I was a teenager, my dad said uh, that he was going to give me a, a cell phone. And that was at that time the big block. Oh, yeah. And I said, I said, no. And he said, what do you mean no? And I said, I don't want it. And, and he was like, you're the only teenager that I know that will not want to have a cell phone. They're all dying to have a cell phone. And your father is giving you one and you don't want it. And I said, no, because then you're going to be calling me all over the place, asking me where I am. And I, I didn't want to be controlled, of course. <laughs> so I read that storm. I will call you from a public phone and I'll let you know where I am and what I'm doing. <laughs> you wait for my call, which never like usually came. My parents were really good and I, not for nothing, I was a good kid. I didn't do anything. My mom was always comfortable she said whatever she'll tell me she's at she she's always there so i had that trust from my parents so it was very liberal not calling or doing anything when i got here to the united states i thought that text messages were the greatest invention on earth because <laughs> i could just write 
and I don't have to be dealing with somebody talking on the phone and lingering in a conversation. Yeah. And so I'm known for not, for not liking to talk on the phone because I get very impatient when somebody's lingering and not making it too, like I get desesperada. The Miami came out very desperate. <laughs> <laughs> no patience. So, but, except when it's the people that you like, obviously. If it is the boy that I like, an hour and five minutes my last conversation with him. So, <laughs> it is true. You did need to, when it is those people that you have a connection, that you're closer to them, you do need to come out of a, push yourself to come out of that text message situation. If it is somebody that you're dating even, get out of your discomfort, make a call, say, hey, I'm in the middle of doing something. I just wanted to hear your voice. Oh, send a text. Uh, 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 I would like to hear your voice, see what you're doing. Uh, let's, let's call, whatever. Because if it is somebody that you are dating or friends or, you know, somebody that is close to you or that you like to be close to, text message is way too far removed. You have to make the call. You have it's so much better. Even if, do I do it with everybody? I don't do it with everybody. I'm, I can be on the phone all day. Mm -hmm. Same thing with text message. Everybody's like bombarding you with private messages or here through the social medias and whatever. You can keep the connection through the text messages or emails or whatever with those people who are you're not so close to, but the ones that you like to get close to or you're somehow within your close group friends of our family the phone call will be helpful yeah let's let's remember to use you know the tools we have for their for their intended purpose and uh you know the texts the emails the dms the whatever else we have you know they're they're yeah. good for for continuing a uh, a line of communication for keeping a channel open if you will um but they're no replacement for direct communication. And the video calls are great because I'm a person that, I, though I don't talk much on the phone, I love to see a person like in front of me, face to face, like we're doing now. It's so great. It's fantastic. Yeah, we're separated. There's a distance, but I can see you. We're talking. You can see your facial expressions. <laughs> we're social creatures. <laughs> so, like, you know, it's the tone of the voice, how the eyebrows move, the things like that, you know, you can see the smile on people's eyes. Yeah. Or whatever. So, it's so, so important. important. Totally. I mean, I so feel video like calls are great. at least 50% of any conversation I'm having is in my eyes. Um, yeah. Oh, you know. for sure. Yes. <laughs> I can testify to that. <laughs> so if you're not seeing them, then, you, then you're not, you're not understanding. You know, sometimes when I teach my, my students will look up and say, what? And I'm like, what? I didn't say a thing. And they're like, yeah, but your eyes moved. So I know you're thinking something. What's going on? And I'm like, oh, oh God, I'm on the spot. You're <laughs> so talking with your eyes. Thoughts. Hush. <laughs> you're talking with your eyes for sure. Oh, that for sure. I can see it. Yes. So, um, uh, let's, uh, so let's wrap this up, Patricia, um, because otherwise I think we'll go on and on all day long, which is, which yeah. is us oh, we... to do, but is not necessarily yes. for the listeners to endure, you know? Right. <laughs> True. Um, so I've been, I've been ending these, most of these podcasts in the same way with the same four questions. Um, and they're actually, for this one, they'll be a little kind of out of left field because we didn't really go so much into, like, yoga stuff. Um, I think mm -hmm. everything we talked about has its application, or yoga has its application to everything we talk, talked about today. But, uh, you know, we kind of stayed off the mat, mostly, if you will. Yes. Um, so four questions, kind of rapid fire. First one is very egocentric. Uh, do you have anything you want to ask me? Oh, your beautiful back bends, your leg behind the head, your gorgeous self, your creative self. Uh, keep advice on the fabulous volume of your hair. Gosh, <laughs> the questions are unending. <laughs> I love how you are an, a perfect urban modern time yogi how you embrace 
social media and all these modern modalities and ways of connecting, but you're also very traditional. So I know that uh, that was a struggle for a lot of people. Uh, some some teachers out there that were very traditional and wouldn't think like Instagram was was not acceptable or you know you name it. What's your advice and your take on yoga? In the sense, in the sense of just have a a small a, a smooth flow in regards to even putting yourself out there to your students as a person as a teacher. I don't know well, if that question makes any sense. Yeah, it, it makes it makes sense, and I I think you know the reason I I put myself out there is because of actually because of one of my flaws, and my flaws is that I I my big flaw is I really just like attention. Um, <laughs> and love that. And it doesn't really matter what attention, good, bad, or you know somewhere in the middle. I just I just kind of like attention, um, and then you know I. I live in New York City now and I have for what, 16 years, something like that. Um, But I'm from a very small place. And so I'm from a a tiny little town where direct communication was the only option. Um, And, you know, we had a, we had a, uh, not a cell phone. My mother had a car phone. uh, Oh, wow. When I was a kid, which was like a giant shoebox sized thing that you know only really got reception like for maybe a 10 mile stretch or something the entire (laughs) but um so you know direct communication was uh was the only option and and so I grew up with that being so valuable um and now that I'm now that I'm a, a yoga person I want mm. to keep that very alive, that that mm-hmm. direct communication is essential and is yeah. absolutely irreplaceable. And so Correct. you have to prioritize. That direct communication has to be prioritized. But you can only have direct communication with so many people. That's so true. Um, I mean, that was, that was the beauty of the, the, the Lakshmi Puram Shala that uh, Patabi Joyce had, the old shala. Um, the closeness. Now, now the old, old shala. Um, right. But it only held 12 people. Right. And, you know, I know from me teaching in my Mysore room, if there are 12 people in there, I'm like, okay, this is good. So this cozy. manageable. I can do this. 13, 14 people, I'm like, what the hell's going on? So it's, <laughs> I was like, I missed it. I missed that. I missed that. Oh, Jesus. Like, I should just give up. Um, <laughs> so there, there is, you know, the human instrument can only deal with so many other human instruments at so a time. And, you know, you can only make a symphony uh, when things are, are all playing together. And once you get too many instruments in there, it just becomes like a caffeinous noise. noise. You know? Yeah. So you have to limit yourself in that amount of direct communication you're going to give, but you have to expand yourself through these other avenues, through mm. your social media, through your, your email chains, through all of that. Um, you have to be willing to expand yourself so that people know that you're there, know that you're available for that direct communication. And that is you, so true. If you put yourself out there and you put yourself out there in an honest way and you have to figure out what what your honesty is, you know, but if you put yourself out there in a genuine way um, Mm. and the people who should be studying with you will come to you. I believe that. Amen. Yeah, (laughs) I I definitely know. Appreciate seriously, because I was sort of struggling at the beginning. I mean, I'm not one new to Instagram. I don't mind doing my posts and things like that and whatever. But when all of this happened, all of a sudden you were being like sort of forced into like do Facebook business pages and some classes and this and that and all these things. Yeah. And I was 
finding such rebelliousness against all of this because it became sort of felt like a cookie cutter to me and I wanted to see what my voice was. And part of that blog was also, I guess, that I was, I could just refrain and not doing, not sharing that. But hey, you know what? This is my take. This is what I think, what I believe for now until I like hopefully get more enlightened, like really enlightened do something nice not being a jerk <laughs> just being <laughs> egotistical and expressing my opinion <laughs> but um but it is my voice the one that i have right now instead of following something that seems so massively produced just for the sake of selling something yeah. or whatever and i was ha having a little bit of a struggle with that thank you Lord. <laughs> Lorenzo just brought me a good cup of water. So cute. Uh, I can't wait until you come back. I'm I'm just excited. I need to I want to come back. Once they let me, I will. I'll come. Oh please. <laughs> uh second question. Yes. Um what do you think? Tell me the best thing about how we practice yoga in our society today. That it is accessible to to everybody. It's not a hidden secret somewhere in some book or by some mystical little man in some mountain that is so available for somebody who was so overly sensitized to stress. I wish I knew this way before. I mean, I kind of knew, but I didn't feel like encouraged to do it. Uh, if it would have been more open, more encouraging, then I would have done it like five years even before then when I started. And it was great for me because it helped me that, you know, control stress, bring myself back to center, all these great beneficial things that we know that yoga can do to your life. Um, so I think that's, that's good. We like often everybody's always, always criticizing all the modern yoga, how it is in the West and blah, 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 like everything that is negative, but we're all benefiting also. How about the benefits? Like we're all benefiting benefiting a lot you know we can do this it's obviously not going to be like the mystical experience of you hiding in the himalayas and doing yoga 24 7 it's never gonna be like but this is what you have you're a human being by nature you're adaptable you take what works be able to sleep you take what works what doesn't work well overcome it you cannot put the string up your nostril and down your and take it out of your throat <laughs> we're in the 21st century in 2020 <laughs> corona is happening you ain't gonna do that so disregard that and do your little asana practice whatever little we can do it works so that that's good that we have the, that exposure to yoga i guess you know i was taught how to do the neti sutra in india i'll, oh I'll show you how next time i come if you want we'll... i can't even comprehend how that can happen it's, it's very so uncomfortable crazy. <laughs> how could you push that thing up your nose so much that it eventually finds its way through your throat to pull it out of your throat. I don't get it. <laughs> we'll do it together. We'll have a little, we'll have oh, a little Sutra party. It'll be great. Oh gosh. I need a bottle of wine for that. It's like oh yeah, that, that's definitely included. Totally. totally. <laughs> so tell me, since you, since you touched on the negative, uh, what is most lacking about how we practice yoga in society today? What is most, oh. I think what's really lacking is a little bit more of a realistic view on what the path of yoga really entails. Uh, everybody thinks that it's unicorn land where there's cotton candy clouds floating around and you do yoga and you're out to feel amazing. Yes, I said that it has great benefits and you feel great and all these things, but that does not mean that the path is without struggle and effort. And so... I do have to agree with Sharad that this billions of yoga teacher trainings are like yoga teacher training machines. Everybody's a yoga teacher and everybody is like supposed to believe that we're in some sort of unicorn land. That is not really. Because if you take this practice as a spiritual discipline day in and day out, there is no way in hell that you're going to feel like you're in unicorn land every single day. Yeah. There are days in which you do not want to do the practice, but you still show up and you feel so, you feel great afterwards. But afterwards, it's not because you're in unicorn lands, but it's because you feel empowered 
that you overcame your own discomfort and did what you had to do. <laughs> and, and your willpower just grew a little stronger for the next day's practice to do it in whatever capacity you could do. It's like, so I think that's lacking. Uh, that false sense of the realistic take. Everybody having a f sort of false sense of belief. I, I uh, would agree with you. I would say that realism is lacking in yeah, yoga too. currently. <laughs> People, you got to be realistic about what you can expect, honestly. Seriously. <laughs> A downward facing dog isn't going to transport you to Narnia, you know? It's <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, there are very soothing practices. You can take a little meditation, like I said, loving kindness, so many other ones that are little candies to your soul. But if you were to take a real meditation practice, like every single day, that's a different oh, story. Every single day at the same time, it doesn't matter. You sit down, you take practice. That's going to be a different story. Not every single day you're going to want to do that practice. Yeah. And you know, I sometimes I think to myself, uh, you know, when I'm practicing in the morning and I'm doing whatever I'm doing. Uh, and, uh, and I think to myself, oh, I just don't want to be doing this backbend or I don't want to be putting my freaking right. leg behind my head or like this, yes. sucks, you know, and, and then I think about what the alternative is. Mm. And the alternative is to sit there and try to meditate for an hour and a half. <laughs> no, thank you, ma'am. Like, <laughs> I can't sit for an hour and a half with my own thoughts. Oh, exactly. hell no. That's not, that's not okay. <laughs> or, or needless to say, like don't practice for a week and then try to sit down with all the body complaints because the body will complain if you don't keep the structure up to par. Well, yeah, and just don't practice and then try to, you know, Good luck, everybody else that has to deal with me in life. Um. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Last question, Patricia. Yeah. Um, and this, this is good for you since you've been talking about uh, your deathbed in 30, oh, 40, gosh. 50 years. So where do you think uh, yoga is going to, what do you think yoga will look like in 30, 40, or 50 years? Hmm. That's very tricky because, I mean, there's, I hope that it will last. It hasn't been a, just a phase. It's lasted a, a good number of years. And so hopefully that will continue. But let me tell you, I got a little nerve-wracking this past few days. I don't know if it is this coronavirus thing seemed a little surreal. But I don't know if you're acquainted with Max Lepin. No, I don't if think I'm so. pronouncing his name right. I'm sure you probably met him in Miser. You know, all have familiar faces. Mm. And Max, what a, an admirable young kid. Super dedicated to his practice. We all love seeing his practice. It's like we love seeing your practice. I know you say you struggle with your some days. You don't want to do your back bends and leg behind the head. But please, you're so awesome effortless, <laughs> dedicated, and that's how Max is. I, on my last trip in my sir, that was what, 2000, 2019? Yeah. He got authorized, level two teacher, fantastic. He got to go again. I didn't get to go on the last trip, and he was there. And on his way back from the my sir trip, he got arrested mm. in Russia as the lore of some uh, cult, sect cult, and whatever. Mm -hmm. They uh, found the Sanskrit chantings, the papers on the Sanskrit chantings. I mean, we know open mantra chantings and whatever. He's the lord of some cult sect or whatever. Mm. And of course, there also there's other charges that he's running in underground meth lab or whatever, something like that. He's the head of the underground meth lab. Mind you, the kid was doing volunteer work at Cushy's in oh, exchange yeah. for a plate of food in a room for him and his wife. Like, if you're the head of whatever, you wouldn't yeah. be doing that. So they're finding that thing. But it made, me, it made me feel really eerie because that goes to show you that 
things can change in a split of a second if the government decides to do something like that or whomever else. Mm-hmm. If the day after tomorrow, Trump decides to say, this is a little culty, there's mm. a little sect going on here, disappear or disappear. Not allowed to practice, not allowed to do the thing, mm-hmm. right? So as of now, I can't really say whether this will, where will it go? Will it last? Is there's going to be some fanatic government out there after this that might eradicate a practice of yoga? And you're talking, know. you're talking in a, as a Venezuelan. So, yeah. you know, you, uh, you have a more intimate uh, relationship with fanatical governance than, than I do. Yes, um, totally. Even, even in Cuba, I remember my, uh, having a coworker one time. She said, yeah, I remember clearly the memory of the first Christmas in which we weren't allowed to put up a Christmas tree because you were not supposed to believe in Christmas and whatever that is. If a government decides to do that, then that's it. Treatment's over. So mm. and that, that kind of tried to happen. The government tried to do that in Minnesota, but it didn't really apply. Right. <laughs> at least right. not yet. <laughs> but, but, you know, so at the end of the day, it is up to us, I guess, to, to keep the, the light of the torch uh, nice and, and shiny, to keep the, the fire going through our own practice, at the end of the day, if you try to force somebody into doing yoga or telling them, I never like to do that, not even to my close friends. If they want to do it, they do it. If not, they don't do it. This, this is not like an evangelical fanatism something. They'll, they'll know if by the way you be yourself. I have many friends that they wanted to do or whatever, so you, you lead by example. You do your thing, you focus on yourself, they might see, oh, yeah, you're looking like Zen and whatever. You're not getting upset that so much or things like that. And then they say, maybe I want to try this yoga. You're not that stressed or you're controlling your feelings and emotions a little better. Whatever it is that they might see, they'll give them a little inkling of a curiosity and they might try it. And it could be just that the little downward facing dog. The little downward facing dog is what did it for me. I was doing it with a very therapeutic short yoga class my on a dvd the very first class that i did my heels were nowhere near the floor my hamstrings were complaining but for some reason i liked it i liked it <laughs> and i did it again the next day the little torture self-masochist i don't know whatever it might be but there was something nice in there that i kept doing i kept doing and let me to find out more and quickly after six months after that i found shtanga and that's what resonated with me the most and i stayed so you lead by example. You do. You keep focusing on yourself. Keep doing you. And whomever wants, like you said, the students will come to you or your partner, family members, friends, whomever that might be. My father might not. That doesn't, you don't have to do yoga necessarily. There's people who they find a moment of awareness and enlightenment washing dishes. You know, they're concentrated. They're gone at that moment. As they're washing dishes into La La Land, and they're in like in their happy zone. You know, it's beautiful. No need to proselytize. Just uh, just show people how you are, the change within yes. you, and they'll they'll want that change as well. Yeah, at the end of the day, yoga is a mind tool. It's, it's mind training. Yeah, it's all it is, and like that, there are many legs. To this tool it could be therapy it could be something else to be synchronizing breath and movement by itself whatever it is that you're doing you know it's, i had a friend actually and i always said this to students i had a friend whose brother suffered from uh, clinical depression really really bad and this friend he actually entered into a little depression because his best friend had died of a heart attack at like mm-hmm. age 30 something and the, the therapist told them you're a little you're depressed and but it's not like your brother that actually suffers from like real depression he says so i can't prescribe you anything because i know that you're not gonna take it mm. but this is what you can do the doctor told them i want you to run three times a week and when you're running the brain produces the same chemicals that we're trying to replicate with these pills and until today that's what he does he runs three times on mondays for sure he's always running I ran yesterday for the first time. I thought I wasn't going to last three blocks. 
but I made it to like six blocks, I think, to Lincoln Road. <laughs> <laughs> it was the equivalent of seeing Forrest Gump running. But I was proud of myself because I felt like I needed to move some energy. I had already practiced in the morning, but there was some certain stagnancy in your seating all afternoon and whatever. Move, move the body, breathe. That right there is right a state of yoga. Perfect. Thank you so much, Patricia. So good to talk so to you. So good, yeah. <laughs> we had to do this again in our, in our, on our own, whatever little conversations. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> Can't wait till you visit again, Michael. I'm excited for it. Soon. Let's make it soon. Yes. Look how pretty I'll show you. <laughs>